Hello, friends and folks, and good afternoon, Dr. Arkov. Welcome back to Honor Her Majesty's Secret Playlist as we continue to declassify the mini missions of James Bond 007 in the world of ones and zeros. I'm Six Stepmar. I'm Jennifer Uncle. And uh, Jen, we, uh, we had our work cut out for us this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, file we were handed this time is uh, the PlayStation 1 version of The World Is Not Enough. Yep, uh, published by EA Games, developed by Black Ops Entertainment, who we will be seeing again um, when we go back to, through some of the earlier Bond games. And uh, yeah, it's based... I wouldn't say it's a direct adaptation of the movie because it takes a whole lot of liberties with its structure, but uh, like it throws in some really um, compressed FMV cutscenes of just scenes from the movie and all that. And it has some of the uh-huh. voice actors, um, some of the actors providing their voices, or one actor providing his voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, some, some interesting choices made here uh, with, this, with this. So this is a game that has two adaptations, of course. There's the PS1 version that we played, and there's also an N64 version, Nintendo 64. Um, I'm, I'm guessing honestly we'll probably never get to the n64 one just you know there's so much to do but it's not impossible i guess yeah i I will say um the n64 is the one i grew up with and uh there are some significant structural differences like right out of the gate in terms of just what they focus on like for example both of those games have like the bank levels their first thing but uh the N64 version, like, after the whole explosion happens, it changes it to, oh no, MI6 is under attack, so you're running around um, getting into gunfights before you get on the boat and all that. Huh. Well, uh, yeah, this this one is a little more... This is not the world's most ambitious game, Jen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think that they substituted ambition for difficulty here because, like, it's mostly just going from point A to point B, occasionally using a gadget. Um, but you're mostly just there to like eliminate all the threats in the room, or like grab onto something in the last second. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much the case. Um, this is a Bond game that doesn't have any um, no vehicle segments. The it, there is an in the N sixty four one. There is a. Um, what an on rails section nothing like that here every level is just you know walking around with with gun in hand or occasionally without gun in hand um though of course there is a brief break for some blackjack (laughs) yep some really really basic blackjack i mean how are you going to make blackjack more complicated jen Mm, i I guess you're right (laughs) it has double down uh it has um I forget the thing where you, you split your cards, like you have two of the same card and you split it. And it also has insurance, which are kind of the, the, the blackjack features you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess the, <laughs> I guess my main thing that's kind of weird about it is like, you get to the point where it has to play blackjack and it, it pops up the same box. You see like a few sentences in, in every other mission, but here they just threw a whole fucking paragraph or two into the small Motorola box. <laughs> You're required to, uh, to win, uh, $100,000 in blackjack to progress the mission. And it doesn't seem like there is any reward for doing this, but there, like, 
I got up to over $2 million because I just kept playing and, you know, using... Um, for the record, I have authentic hardware and an authentic copy of the game. It's just that my disc needs... My laser needs repairing on my PlayStation 2. And so I emulated this one. And since I was using that benefit, I decided to use some slot saves to, you know, just keep winning money. Um, they never threw me out, even though I just... You know, I started with, you know, what, like you start with a couple thousand dollars and I made my way up to two million just betting my entire pop, you know, wallet every time. And they never were like, hey, you have to leave now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also have a legit copy and hardware to play it on, but I ended up emulating it as well because like this game's just very fucking hard. Like there's just something about the way combat works in this that is not fun to deal with. Especially, like, when you get to the snow level. I died, like, 15 to 20 times to the enemies there before I was like, okay, fuck it, I'm just cheating through this. Yeah, you, um, the, the snow level has, like, ski physics in a really weird, like, where, like, you are still playing a first-person shooter where you have movement and you can strafe, but your forward and backwards specifically have, like, momentum that you have to, like, accelerate and decelerate against feels very weird. Um, also, this game is really big on... So, like, as mentioned, you do have, like, movement on the D-pad. This has no analog stick support. And then strafing on L2 and R2. Um, aiming up and down is done by holding R1, so it's not super convenient or, or simple. Um, and this isn't the game... This isn't Doom, right? They expect you to aim up and down pretty often i will say it does have analog controller support but uh from what i could tell you could not use that to look up and down using the right stick because like that was still at this time at this point in time in gaming that was still considered heresy <laughs> like this was around the time when well not long after um that one alien game for the jaguar came out and like, people took a look at the dual joystick controls and they were like, what the fuck is this? Give it a five. <laughs> yeah. And it also just was a bad game. So, you know, that probably hurt the <laughs> odds a little bit there. Yeah, maybe a little. So, I feel like my biggest takeaway from this game is, honestly, the voice acting. Just the random people they ha they called in to play, like, M and Bond. Who is the one actor they actually got? John Cleese. Sure, that makes sense. He barely says anything. He was in the advertising for this game, too, like, all over. He he was basically just talking to the players as if they were 007 and holding up the game disc and shit like that. But, like, even most of the Q briefings, and of course he's not Q, he's R, but um, most of the Q briefings... There's the before each mission. There's a briefing segment, and you have a briefing from M, or later on some other guy. <laughs> M's not around. So one one funny thing about that guy, um, I looked this up after the movie because I was like, he looks familiar. It, it turns out like he's the captain of the like Umbrella SWAT team in Resident Evil, like the first movie. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you've got M and in him, um, you have. Uh, briefings from Q, and then you have a quick little quip from Monty Penny. Um, the M slash Rando and Monty Penny stuff is always voiced. I think one Q 
briefing is voiced and the rest are not. Mm. And I don't know why. Oh, <laughs> oh, um, that is an emulator glitch. Uh, you have to tap uh, back and forth between uh, Money Penny and R, and then R will say something. But okay, great. You weren't missing much. Like most of the time, <laughs> he's just doing the typical like try not to break it this time. But like as he gets further through the game, at some point he's just like, "Well, I'm giving you this item again. Be sure not to break it or something." And then, and then for that one mission where you're captured, he's like, "Well, you don't have anything. Just try and get your stuff back. Good luck." <laughs> huh. Yeah. It feels like they just got him because of like, okay, he's the one person we can get to agree to do this, but they didn't really... It, Based on his performance during that, it doesn't sound like he was very patient with the whole thing. Yeah, sure. You know, he was he was in the booth for an hour and then he was done, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which, fair enough. I don't know, like, this, this game, like... I had enough emulator bugs, as you mentioned. There was that issue, apparently, of, of the voice acting. There's also the issue where completing levels didn't unlock the next level, and so I had to cheat to progress. Yeah. Which, I, like, I can't hold against the game that it's buggy on an emulator. That's not... You don't design your games to be like, well, and then in the future, but, you know, like... Yeah, I think it's because you already had, like, that one cheat activated that unlocked all the cheats, and so... No, I didn't have any cheats on at the start. Oh, Okay. Weird, because like the initially the level progression was working for me until I enabled that. Huh. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, I had to had to cheat our way, and I I wasn't sure because of that. Like one, I did the first mission like three times, um, being like, why is it not unlocking the next one? Um, but then also like. There are parts where there are just jumps of logic because despite having footage from the movie to fill in the gaps, it still clearly assumes you watched the movie Um, because like from level to level, the plot is kind of incoherent. Sometimes some jumps are not that bad, but sometimes, especially early ones, it's like, wait, how, why are we doing this? Um, And I thought maybe I'd missed cutscenes because of the emulator or something. No, don't think I did. Yeah, it's just kind of incoherent, and they take several scenes from... Like, this is just the classic movie um, game adaptation thing where they take scenes where there would be no combat, and they find a way to insert it. Like, the bit where you're chasing after the bomb that's been placed in the oil pipeline. Um, it has to drum up this whole thing like, oh no, suddenly the terrorists have busted in and are taking everyone here hostage, so... You have to go free the hostages and hit A, B, and C, and then you'll be able to do the thing. I feel like the most egregious one is when you're in, in like the second level, I think, when you're chasing the assassin from the from the bank, where in the movie, the her boat gets blown up and she runs like 10 feet to a hot air balloon. In the game, she runs through like seven neighborhoods packed with goons with thugs. <laughs> Yeah. Goons, goons with thugs. Sorry, goons with guns. And one incredible low res portrait of Winston Churchill just in this pub. <laughs> you know, just, just keeping the old ways. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's like. So the Bond license was in a weird state at this point. Well, it's rarely ever been not in a weird state, but like, <laughs> yeah. this was like shortly after GoldenEye had done its thing and 
after Rare and Nintendo passed on doing further ones, EA just scooped that shit up and they're like, okay, people like Bond games, we're just going to make this happen. And uh, occasionally you'll get bits and pieces of like, oh, we threw in a multiplayer mode here or we did this thing there to try and capture the same feel of GoldenEye. But uh, they also were trying to do their own thing. And like, I feel like from game to game, the results... Even from system to system, the results can vary wildly. It was also just a really time, a rough time for console shooters in general, right? Like GoldenEye and then Perfect Dark after it were kind of a bright spot of design, I would say. But other developers around them couldn't, like, didn't immediately figure out how to adapt those lessons very well. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, name a good PS1 shooter. Hmm... The best answer I have is the original Medal of Honor. And let me tell you, it's okay. It's not that good. Yeah, the only one that I can think of is a third-person shooter, um, Siphon Filter. And that's mostly... Like, they figured out how to make D-pad movement feel okay in that game. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just a a rough period um, still working things out and then you know it's not until halo and and dual analog that they start to sort of like settle into a groove and shooters start to make a little more sense um and certainly when you are in a position where you are making two movie tie-in games for different consoles by different teams these people are not being given the time and budget to make it really shine yep basically (laughs) uh what is the timing here? Let me see. So the movie came out in 1999, and the game came out a year later in uh, 2000, um, shortly after the Nintendo 64 version, which came out like a month before. Huh. So I don't know about you. I had a lot of... Um, I think that the mission that gave me the most trouble, that I, it took me the longest to, to figure out, was the, um, the Villa mission, where you are trying to collect evidence at uh, Electra's... Electra's, you know, countryside mansion. Yes. Oh, the the way they integrate stealth in there is incredibly frustrating and unsatisfying because they give you two methods of stunning people. One, like a silenced pistol that's like a shoots tra- tranquilizer darts. And the other one is a your cell phone that has a little taser on it. And neither one keeps the people down. Like... They get up if you're moved from one room to the next and then back again. But even if you're still in the same room, 30 seconds to a minute later, they're just standing up regardless of what you hit them with. I didn't know this because what I did, I think I I cell phone zapped one person and didn't realize then when they got up later. Um, Because what I did is I played like I, I... Play, played like peekaboo exploited corners and whenever i had a chance i punched them out and punching them out didn't count as lethal for like objective purposes but did make them despawn oh okay <laughs> so i just like kept ambushing people with my fists that part was not the hard part the hard part was i kept using um logic about how de- buildings are designed right uh-huh And also how levels are designed, because what you're doing is you're going around collecting evidence and bugging phones, um, and there are five phones to bug and, like, four pieces of evidence. Um, And I used various pieces of logic, like, there must be a way to leave the building, right? So I was like, oh, this door that is immediately in front of you as you go down these stairs, it must be the door outside, and so I didn't even try it. 
there is no way to leave this house, Jen. <laughs> yep, it's and its design pretty much runs counter to like they didn't even try to make it resemble Electra's actual mansion in the movie. No. And then also the first thing you do is like the opening cutscene is you walking out of Electra's room and you have to turn around and go back in because there's an objective on the other side of her room. <laughs> and again, I just I just assumed I shouldn't and it's like no, I have to stop thinking either like I have to stop thinking either like a person or like a level designer and just think of this as a series of boxes that I have to explore. Yeah. Did you check out the piano uh, by that phone, by the way? I did not. OK, if you tap it, Bond just plays out do 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 on the keys. Sure, sure. Why not? <laughs> Speaking of that, like it basically uses the Bond theme both for Mission Complete and Game Over. And it's the crustiest <laughs> fucking blown out version of that I've ever heard. It's the funniest it's when you crunchy. die because, like, you just hear a little oof and then <laughs> the theme plays. Yeah, that's, uh, oof. Is, is right. That's how I responded to Bond to, play, to playing this game. Once you turn on invincibility, you kind of you sail through it reasonably well, but there's not much nice to say about this one, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's it's a shame because like, clearly they were trying things every once in a while. It's just that uh, the execution just wasn't there. <laughs> you do yeah. get some fun... You do get like one or two fun gadgets like the they they took the whole credit card lockpick from the movie and then you also have a camcorder that doubles as an rpg <laughs> yeah yeah doesn't make a lot of sense but so before we go into there's some stuff in the back half of the game i want to chat about before that we should talk about the film the world is not enough yeah we'll probably have a few more things to say about this part <laughs> yeah yeah so after bond goes to spain to retrieve a british oil tycoon's money and um, get information about an MI6 assassin. Um, the banker he's interrogating is suddenly assassinated. Um, Bond spent some time chasing after her before she blows herself up. Bond returns home with the money and is like, okay, here you go, Sir Robert King, here's your money. But then realizes too little too late that his lapel pin has been switched out and uh, acts as a trigger for a detonation that kills him instantly. Um, I think it, I think the assassin thing happens after that. Actually, I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah. Um, after all of that happens, Bond is put on guard duty for King's daughter Electra. Um, but MI6, as ever, has an ulterior motive. They're trying to flush out her original kidnapper, Renard, who was uh, shot in the head by another MI6 agent, but. Uh, the bullet is still in there, slowly working his way through his head, but he is not dead yet, and also he is now more dangerous because he feels nothing. So 
And this movie basically follows Bond as he has moments with Elektra, um, infiltrates Renard's terrorist group to find out more, meets another Bond girl, Christmas Jones, um, who turns out to be the true Bond girl, and uh, does his best to save the sanctity of an oil pipeline through Russia. So I had seen this movie once uh, a long time ago, and I remembered it being terrible. And I think this movie is actually really fun. I think it is, like, certainly on the stupider side of Bond movies. Like, it's, you know, it's the immediate sequel to Goldeneye, which is a movie that, while silly, works decently on a serious level as a spy movie. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't. But (laughs) it's very fun. Yeah, like, the gadgets are, like, dialed up to 10. Like, even in the big assassin chase scene uh, on boats, like, there's a bit where Elektra happens to pass through a gate right as it's closing, and Bond just dives, and then it does the most ridiculous fucking camera cut I've ever seen in a big blockbuster, where it just does a comedy fade as fade to him underwater adjusting his tie for like a second (laughs) then doing another fade in (laughs) as he comes up that whole sequence though even beyond that has like multiple shots where it's just bond like in the boat just like but it doesn't look like he's in a speedboat it looks like he's at universal studios and he's on the water ride because he's just like gasping for air (laughs) like you know like his cheeks puffed out and just soaking wet as buckets of water are dumped on his head (laughs) yeah and eventually the the chase ends up going on land but he doesn't need to get out of the boat because it just keeps going across uh the roads and through buildings until they get to the water again because <laughs> he has little jets on the bottom of it yeah he's got little little jet engines on the back um yeah that whole sequence that that chase sequence is very is very funny and like at like the part where <laughs> so she stops the the person he's chasing the assassin stops the boat and starts shooting at him with a turret on the back of the boat and he like drives at her boat and like ramps off to knock the turret off it's like buddy just crash into the boat just stop the boat (laughs) what are you doing there's multiple shots in here where like he is weightlessly twirling through through this through the air uh in this boat and it's so funny (laughs) it is one of these classic like I don't know about full pause, but like moments of like, what are we doing in a chase scene where you realize that they're chasing them, but there's no like Bond has no way to stop her. He's just continuing to chase her because she's <laughs> continuing to run. It's not like a, a, a on foot one where he could tackle her or a car one where he could do a pit maneuver. He's just like, well, she's still going. So I guess I am too. And at one point he gets ahead of her. So she just turns and he has to turn around and go back. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and it ends with him like hanging off a hot air balloon as he's begging her not to shoot the air canister. She doesn't anyway, and then he spends 30 seconds tumbling down this uh, this tarp that seems to be part of a World's Fair or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it's some, some famous building in, in, in London that I'm not aware of or something. So, the villain of this movie 
is so good because I made this connection early on and it just delighted me nonstop throughout. Jen? Yeah? What if Alex Navarro had nothing left to lose? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's not where my brain went to when I saw him, but... (laughs) He, he, He looks a lot like Alex, just sort of like basic facial structure, though he's got extra scars, right? Mm -hmm. And then also his delivery is just anytime Alex does like a villain voice, and it's just like, I'm just like, man, I know, I know Giant Bomb went bad, but I didn't know it went this bad. It's just, I was just like, I loved every second he was on screen. So funny. It it really is something like, before this, I had only played the Nintendo 64 game, so when you when you have a Nintendo 64 game and no one can talk because the cartridge isn't big enough for that, like, I imagined a more sinister voice for him than what we get. <laughs> He's just kind of a guy, and, like, that's... <laughs> just a guy! <laughs> that's, that's one of the reveals of this, really, because, like, there's a whole bit where Elektra, um, they... They discovered that uh, Electra had relations with him when she was being kidnapped. So they go into this whole, okay, clearly she's stuff- suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. When it's the other way around, that's what's revealed later. Um, apparently, <laughs> she was kidnapped and that she was just such a sicko that she made Renard an even bigger sicko. Yeah, it's no, Renard just has fat pussy disease. Like... <laughs> And there's a point where, like, they're they're still running. Like, he's still obsessed with her. But, like, the bullet has has gone, you know, presume back when he was, you know, originally tempted by her. um, He was, you know, a, a more normal person. And now, you know, the bullet going through his brain has shut off, you know, his nerves and he can't feel anything or whatever. And there's a sequence where, like... Electra is doing this like escalating sequences of like sexy like you can't feel this ooh what about this and he's like no no my nerves don't I don't care that you're being sexy I don't have functional nerves sweetie <laughs> yeah but even then he is so down bad that uh, <laughs> his reaction to Bond mentioning that uh, Electra ends up dying is just this really pathetic no and <laughs> Just totally flailing out, even though he, even though, like, before this point, his whole special thing was because he couldn't feel anything, he was just able to be like, hmm, I'm totally, your, your efforts to intimidate me will not work because I don't care. Yeah, like, in the initial confrontation when they're at the bottom of the, the, like, nuclear silo that's being decommissioned, He's running off with the warhead, and, you know, Bond is chasing them and shooting after them, and he wings uh, Renard, and Renard kind of looks down and is like, huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's this whole bit to, like, show how fearsome he is, where he's meeting people next to this uh, fire that never goes out, and just picks up a coal, and he's like, hmm, hey, how about you hold this for a bit? <laughs> and he just... <laughs> <laughs> holds it holds that person in a handshake while it's burning them to shit <laughs> and then shoots the other guy he's like listen that was your test you pass and then immediately that guy goes and gets shot <laughs> <laughs> yeah god uh it's a very 
very funny. It it is really funny too. Like the first time you meet Electric King, um, Bond travels out to an area where she's building her pipeline, and she's meeting with the very angry locals, and she's able to woo the local Russians over just by meeting with this priest and being like, okay, we're going to move it to a slightly different location. And everyone's like, yay, we love you now. I mean, that's what they're, that's what they're protesting over is like, don't destroy our, you know, our like national treasure here, like this church. And she agrees, right? They win that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in the background of all this, you're watching these two helicopters with just like, six feet of saw blades just going through trees and I'm like huh wonder if that's gonna show up later it's such a weird like i i guess they're just trying to like foreshadow the fact that they want to use this in a later action scene but it's like oh you know these buzzsaw helicopters everyone has and you're like no <laughs> yeah like this the, the funny thing is like she has those and then like she She's also technically the owner of uh, those uh, paragliders that end up coming after them while they're skiing. Like, paracopters, I mean, because they can, no. like... No, those are taken from the IDA, remember? Because that's what the doctor says, is that he, he he's like, oh no, but we had to return those. These are, like, these are machines that the, like, basically International Disarmament Organization has for some reason. And oh. they borrowed them. <laughs> Which is why he's like, dog, there was a rental. We got to put him back and you blew them up. Uh, I, I guess I missed that part exactly. But yeah, <laughs> it's such a funny scene because like these paracopters just show up um, and start chucking grenades and shooting Uzis at them while they're trying to ski down. And then at some point, like. They can essentially turn into snowmobiles on a dime just by landing and removing the parachute. And they're just doing it the opposite way, too, whenever they want. <laughs> it's the silliest uh, It's the silliest enemy vehicle I've ever seen. He deals with it pretty quickly, but the part where he, like, lures one to a cliff and then dives out of the way and it drives up. And you see uh, Pierce Brosnan give this big smile, which, by the way, this is some of the hottest he's ever looked. Holy shit. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan looks good in this movie. Um... But he dives out of the way and he gives this big, like, like, you know, like, like a, like a kid who just like, you know, who just won the, you know, won the football game. This big dopey smile as this thing flies off the cliff and then it just deploys the parachute and turns around and starts flying. He's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really something. Uh, yeah. Other things I liked, um, you get uh, the point where he kills the security guard mr davidov and replaces him and they're like all right well listen you got the you got the bribe and he's like of course i do and he grabs the duffel bag and he doesn't know what's in it it's like oh it's it's sneakers these guys are sneakerheads <laughs> well initially he looks at it like is this the right thing and then they immediately take him and they're like yep thank you <laughs> yeah yeah um and like you also get like there's there's other other pretty funny stuff here. We get um in the casino sequence. I just like this commitment to I don't like this is one of the few moments where they really lean on Bond being genuinely uncool. 
right? Mm-hmm. Where he's got these like blue like gunners that allow him to see with X-ray vision and it establishes that he can see weapons and everyone is armed. And then it establishes that, of course, by its nature, he can see underwear. And then we just cut to a normal perspective and we see him checking people out. And you're like, you're such a creep. Yeah. And it tries to justify it by being like, oh, everyone is packing heat in this. But it's like, no. <laughs> amazingly- no, but you stared directly at that woman's ass. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, amazingly, this came out a few years after the first Austin Powers movie, which I think had a similar gag. I wouldn't remember. It's been a long time. It, it feels like the kind of thing that Austin Powers would make fun of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, we get the return... Well, we get the return of uh, um, Bond's quote-unquote friend from GoldenEye, uh, Valentin Zukovsky. And uh, mm-hmm. this time played he's... By, uh, played by the recently, uh, recently passed uh, Robbie Coltrane. Oh, he passed away recently? Huh. October 14th, yeah. Oh, damn. Didn't know that. Yeah, he alongside him is uh this guy named Bull who um No Boolean. Oh yes, Boolean. <laughs> and his whole thing is uh well he's listed as Bull in the credits, but in the movie he's called Boolean. Um huh. his whole thing is that like he doesn't trust banks, so he just uh carries <laughs> it around with him everywhere, including his uh uh, including like gold fillings and uh, his ridiculous uh, Prada briefcase. Um, so fun thing about this character. This is actually a insert from a musician who was super popular at the time named Goldie. Um, he, I, I think he even did like the remix of the Bond credits music at the end because this whole thing was just like intense hardcore drum and bass and jungle music essentially huh yeah yeah came and went passed me by no idea (laughs) it's just like okay i guess this i mean i did like the idea of a guy who doesn't trust banks so he puts all of his money into his mouth i think that's very funny yeah it's pretty good (laughs) Uh, and there's also like um that whole casino scene is something else because like, all of a sudden, Electra comes in out of nowhere, and um, Valentine just pulls out, like, hey, here's a million dollars credit. Spend it wisely. And then she just goes and bets it immediately on single-card blackjack. Which is, like... I mean, I, I, it is, of course, just a setup so that she can, you know, she can pay him on the sly for something. But it's like, sweetie, you gotta learn to have more fun with gambling. This is boring as shit. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about, like... Fiction being like, no, you can tell this person's really hardcore because they they want an even more boring game. It's like, <laughs> no. If you want to lose money that bad, just, I don't know, just throw it up in the air and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I did actually enjoy reasonably the Bond girl dynamics in this one because I like, first of all, when, when he first meets Electra, Electra is like, no, MI6 fucked us up once before, piss off. Um, as opposed to immediately being charmed by him. And then later on, he's like, actually, M yelled at me not to get involved. And he makes an attempt, not a lot of an attempt, but there is a part where he's like, mm, I really can't. Um, and then you get 
uh, Denise Richards as Christmas Jones, who is a character who starts off as fucking fantastic because not only is she not instantly charmed by Bond, she basically is like, yeah, he's like, oh, wait, uh, I'm going down below. Do I need any security? Because at this point, he's disguised as a, a Soviet nuclear scientist. And she's like, no, actually, uh, the part you're going to is safe. Um, Given all the work that your people, you and your people have fucking caused for me, if you need protection from anyone, it's me. Um, and also the guard puts her forward as a lesbian. as like, oh, she's not interested in men. And it's like the Bond girl gravity takes over her eventually. But her initial setup is actually really fun. Yeah. And also she is essentially keeping an eye on him because like shortly after he is shortly after he is uh, facing Renard for the first time, she comes in and is like, like the scientist must be 63 years old. You're not 63 years old. Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's another where that's another place where the video games interpretation of the scene is so funny because like your undercover disguise, you're still just wearing your bond suit as opposed to the disguise in the movie. And you're just, holding up the ID facing you. Um as if you're holding <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. And you just wave it in front of people and they're like, oh okay, you can pass. <laughs> Good afternoon, Dr. Arkov. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh God, I did I didn't even think about the fact that you don't even show them your badge. <laughs> so funny. Uh, I, I do quite like the scene where they're just racing through the oil pipe too, and like Bond has to somehow convince her once he once he realizes the significance of the fact that only half the plutonium is here. Like, okay, so we're gonna eat we're gonna eat shit in this part right now. So don't disarm the bomb. We're gonna roll off this thing going sixty miles an hour into this cramped tunnel. Um, we're just gonna do it, <laughs> and that buys him time to be like recognized as dead for one scene before he dries up in a fucking <laughs> spy BMW and immediately gets sighted by Bullion. Like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I, I think though my favorite, um, like my one overwhelming memory from this movie before watching it again is the action denouement because i was like i must be remembering this wrong there is no way it is pierce brosnan and our rando villain in a nuclear submarine hitting each other with a rod of plutonium no that is what happens <laughs> yeah it, it basically goes back and forth like this um, Renard tries to very slowly insert a rod of plutonium into this reactor as the meter slowly goes up. Bond punches him and knocks him away, takes the thing out. Renard gets one over on him again and starts putting it back in. And it keeps going like that until eventually Renard just locks him in a cage and he's like, buddy, I'm just gonna fucking do this. <laughs> <laughs> At which point... Bond uh, uses a specific CO2 um, tube and puts it in the right place, and the plutonium just impales Renard by shooting out so fast. Yeah, there's like a... He hooks up a pipe and then uses an interface that is designed for pneumatically firing cooling rods, I guess? Um, 
<laughs> you know, listen, Bond logic, but it's kind of wild. That whole sequence is wild. Like, the way they get onto that submarine and everyone's just fucking firing, like, bullets in a enclosed submarine, which is, like, the worst thing you can do. It's and... pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and of course, almost immediately, they run into problems with leaks, and then Bond happens to get the control stuck in a way where it's... Like, he's trying to surface the submarine, but he gets the control stuck in a way where it's just nosediving into the fucking sea. And then it gets shot up, and they're like, well, <laughs> this no one is happy in this scenario. <sighs> yeah. Uh, the Obviously, this whole thing, like, like the, the suddenly the floor is the wall. And and everything and all the swimming and all the shifting. This would be really hard to do in the game. So instead, they set up a uranium like or, sorry, they set up like a radiation poisoning water barrel maze. Um. <laughs> yeah, and like the size of the map is like way fucking bigger than any submarine could possibly be. <laughs> and so it's just like you walk in shoot a bunch of dudes in hazmat suits and then it's like okay navigate this water barrel maze before you collapse from radiation poisoning mr bond <laughs> yeah and the whole torpedo hatch escape sequence is just you walking over to a torpedo texture and hitting x and it's like mission complete <laughs> uh. yeah which, it was fun that they basically did that torpedo launch thing as, like, a callback to earlier Bond films, because, like, this is not the first time Bond has been fired out of a submarine shaft before. No, I mean, that he had that he had that submarine torpedo bay, like, burial in uh, You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Yeah. It, so. it is funny that right as they're escaping and the thing is about to explode, um... I think this got ADR'd in because I didn't see anyone actually physically say this. Just someone says, oh, don't worry, this, the engine chamber is flooded now, so no explosion's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, while they're, while they're climbing up. Uh, and then they, and then we have the shot of the below the submarine as they dramatically tear their paper mache submarine model in half. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, uh, it's also like worth worth mentioning like this is part of a real shift in the tone of Bond movies in a way because like this is not about the Soviet Union in the same way, right? It's not about the Cold War in the same way. Like up and up through Goldeneye, the last one, it's like Goldeneye is about this like sort of the collapse of the Soviet Union and its projects being, you know, misused by by others. And now this is like, okay, like this is 1999 and it talks about Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, nuclear disarmament, and it's all about oil. It's Gulf War. Yeah. And that and they're trying to tell a more serious sub story in addition to all of this. Like it's trying to get into the realities of... Um, what happens when a government doesn't negotiate with terrorists and is willing to just let someone who's been kidnapped um, hang for a while um, and hopefully just find a way to get through that without negotiation. And uh, it's trying to do something more personal with M2, kind of, because 
it's it's sending up Electra um capturing M as like the ultimate betrayal of her because she thought she was being such a good friend to the King family. She talks about how they were they were so close and she did what she could to get uh Electra out of the kidnapping and all that. But in Electra's point of view, like she just left her to rot, so first chance she gets Electra throws uh M in a cell and is like, Yeah, have fun, you're just gonna fucking rot. Mm-hmm. I can't really, well, I can't really make good on that, though, because of everything else happening in this movie. So, like, the way that they try and wrap it up to maintain some of that pathos is by having Bond basically shoot Elektra in front of him. And uh, Uh basically, which he, while he's doing it, while Em is just looking there, um incredibly sad he makes another fucking pun (laughs) Uh, because Electra's whole thing is like you can't shoot me you'd miss me and he just shoots her dead and is like I never miss (laughs) and then walks out (laughs) yeah Uh, it's gonna be you know a number of movies until there's a real attempt to grapple with like M's interiority as a character. Yeah. They also have the most awkward title drop imaginable, which happens in both the game and the movie, where um, Electra's like, I could have given the world to you, and Bond's just like, mm, the world's not enough. It's a family motto of the Bond family. <laughs> I thought, yeah, like, going forward through that, I, when you hear, that, like, the theme song done by Garbage and, like, all of that, you're thinking, okay, that's... That's supposed to be a line of, like, supervillain ambition, but no, it's just, like, a thing that Bond himself says. I will say, to be fair, uh, that that is actually established as the family motto on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service in 1969. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's in Latin, it's Orbis Non Sufficit, which, you know, is like, yeah, the world isn't sufficient enough but yeah no good work i guess (laughs) actually (laughs) (sighs) ultimately i think this movie came out a lot better than that it was in my memory and the game was not as miserable as i expected but there's not a lot to there's not a lot to recommend it yeah it's it's one of those situations where even like I feel like one of the reasons why it's so hard is if you just play those levels from beginning to end perfectly, it clocks in less than two hours. It's mm-hmm. a short, short video game. Yeah. Like, it, it makes me wonder if... Let me see how many other Bond games uh, they ended up making. Oh, this was just... This was the second Bond... This is was the second and last Bond game that this company made. So... Oh, they made Tomorrow Never Dies as well. Okay, actually, that's that's a moment that I should I I forgot uh, about Tomorrow Never Dies completely. That is actually the the one after Goldeneye. <laughs> yep, so this is two after Goldeneye. What the fuck is that movie even about? I get it confused with like, is that the one where it's like the news organization? 
It seems like I don't think I've ever seen this one. Yes, it's the it's the one that's basically with uh, Jonathan Price uh, acting as a like he, he's basically a stand-in for like um, Rupert Murdoch, I think. Huh. Yeah, I I don't know shit about this thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, once we get to that game, I guess we'll be able to watch it for ourselves. I guess so. It's really hard to say much else about this other than, like... Well, you mentioned there were some late-game things you wanted to discuss. Was that just the submarine thing? Or... It's pretty much just, the like, the submarine thing, and then also the the nuclear silo sequence, where you are waving your ID in front of people. Um, both of those are noteworthy, <laughs> I guess. That's all, really. Yeah, and I guess one other thing I'll say gameplay-wise is that, like... There's multiple missions where you go through quite a bit and then it ends with it being like, okay, you have three seconds to get at your grappling hook and grapple onto this nearby item. <laughs> and mm -hmm. none of the other gameplay mechanics really prepare you for that throughout the earlier parts of that level. So it's always like, hope you are ready for this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. This was back in the day where there were no checkpoints. You either got to the mission or you failed and started over. Yep. Bit of a bit of a mess. Yep. But I guess I guess if you're looking for a PlayStation 1 shooter to take up your time, the world is not enough is in fact not enough. <laughs> Look elsewhere. Uh, how long were you sitting on that one? Uh, this is 10 minutes. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Jen, where can people find you on the internet? So you can find me on Twitter at uh, JBU3. Most of my stuff is on ScanlineMedia.com or Patreon.com slash ScanlineMedia. You can find me on Twitter at SixDetmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. And uh, you can find my work same place as, same place as Jen. Um, yeah. Until next time, folks. Peace out. See ya.